Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode will answer your questions, go hands-on with Nintendo Labo, and much more. My name is Chris Slate. Right off the bat, I want to thank everybody who sent feedback from last month's episode. Um, you know, as we explained then, these first few episodes are kind of a, an experiment. We're going to try some different formats, some different content, and we really want to get a sense for what you guys want to hear. So thanks again for that. And as a result, we're changing up the format this episode. We're going to have some sections we're going to bring back from Nintendo Power Magazine. Um, we're going to give some game recommendations, answer some of your questions, and more fun stuff. Also, we're going to give um, our hands-on impressions of Nintendo Labo. Joining me for this episode is Krista Yang, who many of you will know is the co-host of Nintendo Minute. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show today. Thanks for coming on. And Nate Bildorf, the Senior Director of Localization Inside the Treehouse. Hi, Nate. Hey, guys. Cool. So I wanted to start with Pro's Picks. Now, Pro's Picks is a, uh, used to be a section in the old Nintendo Power magazine um, where uh, you know players would, would choose their top games, the pros would choose their top games, pros meaning people that worked at Nintendo Power. And uh, strangely enough, the dealers would pick their, uh, their top games back then too. So we're going to talk about games we've been playing or maybe replaying uh, recently that we could recommend. So Crystal, let's start with you. What have you been playing lately? So I have been on a long vacation recently, a very nice vacation. So that means lots of time on airplanes. So I was very grateful to have um, the new Zelda DLC Pack 2, the Champion's Ballad, with me um, on my trip. And that was just such a great way, I think, to get me back into The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And it was such a, like, meaty DLC. Um, you know, it goes goes through the, the story, the backstory of the champions. It really adds like this new layer to the game. So I've been really, um, really enjoying that. I really took my time through it as well and actually beat it very recently. So yeah, I, I love it. It's awesome. And I hope that, you know, other people have gotten a chance to check it out. Yeah, I've, uh, I gotta say, I've I've been digging on that too. I tore through it. <laughs> I didn't take my time with it at all. I <laughs> oh, ate really? it like, oh yeah, I consumed it, I think over a weekend, but um, it's it's good stuff. And rolling around on your motorcycle at the end of all of it is really just the cherry on top. It's awesome. Yeah, what I really love about it too is how sort of layered the experience is. Like, this is like the like a giant onion of awesomeness that you're like peeling away. Because <laughs> it kind of starts out with, you know, you doing certain tasks and that unlocks something and sort of unlocks a quest for the champion's ballad and there's four of those. And then as you go through each of those sections, it unlocks a shrine, and then you do the shrine, and it unlocks the divine beast, and then, of course, it unlocks a bunch of um, really cool memories about the champions themselves, and I thought that was just a great way to tie that story element from the main game with the Zelda memories into the champion's ballad, and, like, that was seriously the best reward is those cutscenes of mm -hmm. the champions and getting a glimpse of 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 them um, and getting to know them better. And it was just really cool how that kind of unfolded. And then of course, Nate, to your point, the the end ultimate amazing reward with the Master Cycle Zero was just like, ah, it was like amazing. <laughs> and then you see like the little Master Cycle um, icon on the load screen with the other Divine Beast and you're just like, this is 
the best ever. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And I also really liked um, how, you know, maybe this is a spoiler, so I won't say exactly what happens, but the final kind of challenge you have to overcome to get that Meister cycle, oh my gosh, I thought yeah. was a, a huge surprise. I wasn't yes. expecting that at all. Right. Me, me too. And it was, it was a very tough challenge. So you felt like really rewarded at the end of that. It, it was a, you know, something that um, challenged me for sure. And so when you finally got to um, the end of that and you got the, the ultimate reward and you're, you're just like, oh, this is like so worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things for me, I, I actually uh, wrote a little piece about this on the, the Treehouse log, but I'm like obsessed with, with maps. I, I always was obsessed with maps when I was a kid. So <laughs> doing my end game for Zelda is going and actually trying to get all 900 Korok seeds, which is oh man, madness. But um, it was it was already fun. But being able to do that with the uh, the motorcycle sort of as my means of conveyance to drive around with that mask on and just whenever it rattles, I kind of put the brakes <laughs> on. Is like it's basically it's turned my end game into a far more pleasurable experience. And with with this game, I mean, how many times have you jumped off of a high point? And you know, deployed your uh, your paraglider in this game probably a thousand times when you played through right. naturally. Every single time I do that now, I summon the bike and I thumb and Louise it off the cliff before I <laughs> my paraglider. Like that is just that's a, a mandatory staple for me now. I love that. How many coroxies are you up to now? I am uh, just shy of six hundred, so I'm, I'm chipping wow. away. Man. Oh my gosh, it's unreal. Good. That though, I mean, you think I'd seen every part of that landscape? I mean, it's like. I've put so many hours into this game, and yet, no, every single time I stumble onto a new one of those, I'm like, I didn't even totally. know this, this canyon was here. I didn't know this this little mountain peak was here. It's unreal. Yeah, when I went back to the went back to the game with um, the DLC pack, it's been a, a few months since I picked that game up. Um, I was super surprised at how much unexplored um, parts of the game I still had. It was really amazing, and definitely um, playing through the the DLC gave me a chance to kind of re-explore and rediscover new areas that was it was really cool and i think you know definitely if you think you got everything in that game you have not so go back to it yeah i found uh you know there were always like the last dozen or so of the regular shrines that i still hadn't found yet. yeah and and i came across a few of those while going through the dlc content and that really got me back into that so now that i've got just like you nate now that i've got the motorcycle i and just zipping across the land trying to check off those last few shrines totally and got my korok mask on you know you're serious when you're like you said you're riding across the land with the korok mask on you're on a <laughs> <Yeah>. mission <laughs> link also looks like a vagrant on the in that korok mask and riding on that motorcycle which i kind of love like he's a very classy character but it's like i'm on a motorcycle with a korok mask like what are you gonna do <laughs> all right nate so what have you been playing uh i mean i've I dabbled in a lot of games um, and certainly binged on on the the DLC pack for um, for Zelda when it came out. But I gotta say, and it's weird to say this for a game that that came out so long ago. I I have never strayed too far from Splatoon two, and I think it's um, the the content dumps, the sort of consistent content dumps in that game. I think are probably the reason why I keep coming back to it. But um, more so, I think it's just because I really really love that community. Um, the 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 way that that game is set up, um, you know, you've you've obviously you can play as little or as much as as you want in any uh, given setting. But every single week that you know a new weapon comes out or a new stage comes out, number one, I just love being a part of the the community as it's experiencing that for the first time. Um, mainly because you know you introduce a new weapon, like you know we, we um, when we introduced the the Brella, I remember I, going in that Friday when it dropped, and literally every match I went into is like at least 
it was seven or eight people in that match are all sporting the same weapon. And none of us know what we're doing. We're all sort of, expl- you know, you're kicking the tires on these weapons together. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not, these aren't like highly technical matches where everybody's good. It's more like everybody's really bad and you're just all experimenting together. <laughs> I don't know, I just, and, and I, this is all anonymous play. It's not like I'm playing necessarily with people that I know. So I really love that sort of sense of exploring things together with the community um, on the, the night that it drops. Um, and moreover, I think that, for for me with Splatoon 2, there's a natural gravitation, I think, for people, especially in um, in shooters, to sort of stick with a, a weapon that they get good with and then just stick with it forever because you feel amazing while you're playing it. You know, you're winning a lot of matches. But Splatoon 2's the way it's it's set up and the, sort of the whole philosophy of Splatoon, when you play Turf War, it's three minutes, you're getting randomly matched. The pressure of winning is completely absent for me. And as a result, I think it it really encourages you to go out and experiment with all the different weapons that the game has to offer and all the different sort of builds of your gear that, uh, you know, as far as um, sort of special powers that you have with your gear, it encourages you to do that because you're not risking anything. It's like going to Turf War, oh, so you're bad at, at blasters. Well, spend a, spend a night just playing a blaster. There's no harm in it. Yeah, maybe you're going to be a detriment to your team, but, you know, maybe eventually you'll get good and then you'll be good for your team again. You know, it's... I just, for me, philosophically, I think that slots in really well with um, the way I like to enjoy games. And as a result, I'm wringing like every last bit of pleasure out of Splatoon 2 um, on a consistent basis. It's like this week, I'm, I've decided to go back to support roles. I'm actually running around with ink brushes right now and, and just sort of being a, a pain to the, to the other team, having them chase me into blind corners and stuff like that. It's an entirely different way to play, but I get just as so much pleasure out of it. So yeah, I've I, I came back on board sort of when we did the the big update um, at the end of last year, as far as the big new gear update. But like I said, you know, we're we're consistently dropping new content on it. So I was in when we debuted the Shellendorf Institute. I was in there. I love that. It's a great new map. I obviously was uh, super into the Splatfest um, last week, even though my action team sadly dropped the ball hard uh, and we failed to win. But uh, <laughs> other than that, um, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm a regular on Splatoon too. I, I'm still having as much fun with it as I did on day one. I played it a lot right when it first came out, and but I was never an expert Splatoon one or Splatoon two player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like you said, you can approach it in a different way, and I can feel like I accomplished something even if I'm just spreading paint and kind of avoiding direct conflict. Um, but um, it's I think um, you know hearing you talk, it's reminding me that I've been meaning to get back to this game, and it's been so long since I've played it. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of content that's going to be brand new to me so it's sounds like it's a good time to jump back in yeah there'll be a lot of new weapons for you to buy yeah i think like a lot of times when you're thinking about like online shooters it's very intimidating at least for me like it it definitely has that like sense of like oh man if i'm not good like everyone's gonna like hate me Mm. or something but splatoon has none of that which i just i really love that like to your point nate you know having sort of the freedom to experiment um you're not really you're, you're not really um, putting so much effort into one match that if you wanted to experiment, it's it's like, you know, it's going to really cause you to be delayed in your advancement of the game. So yeah. um, I think that's really cool. And I, for myself, I really just love, like, the fashion and the mm-hmm. different options um, for clothing and, um, and, you know, it affects the game as, as well. But I just love that whole feeling of Splatoon, you know, that, like, really cool, like, Tokyo vibe that Splatoon has. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like such a great um, kind of different and fresh take on 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 a game on a shooter. So yeah, I I need to go back as well and um, 
and check out some of the new weapons. But Nate, I gotta tell you that uh, I was on on the side of Team Comedy, so oh god, I don't, I don't know if we can be <laughs> friends anymore. But you know, <laughs> well, you, yeah, we got stomped. Team Comedy came with it. We uh, obviously, right. I was pretty sure we were gonna win the popular vote just because the icon for Team Action I thought was just unbeatable, and so I figured a lot of people would choose that, <laughs> and we did. We won that handily. But yeah, the Team Comedy came with some skills. It was. Uh, it was good. It was a good shifty station. They, I, you guys probably know, but every Splatfest, there's a new sort of stage that's specifically yeah. made for that. And this one involved a lot of transparency, um, both in the floors and the walls, mm-hmm. which was just, it, it It lent itself to some interesting strategies that, you know, frankly, we, you don't have anywhere else um, in the main, uh, the main multiplayer game. Uh, not only sort of the first, realizing that, oh, there's an actual floor there that you have to ink, but normally you don't ink walls at all, but there was actually a, a strategy to inking walls on that particular stage because... Um, there were transparent walls that if you inked them, they all of a sudden became blockades that people couldn't see you through. But if you left them uninked, obviously mm-hmm. they could see all your all your movements. So it, it opened up sort of a new possibility to the game that I hadn't I hadn't thought about before, and it was it was great. It's one of the reasons why I love Splatfest is just seeing what Shifty Station is going to be there. It was a it was a good one. Yeah, I think that's cool too because um, you know when you're randomly matched with people in Turf War, um, it's it's like the quickest strat- strategic like meeting of the minds ever you know you just have to like figure it out within the first three minutes and that that's like a cool challenge to kind of take on with a bunch of strangers you know sometimes you get matched with god knows who you know on those matches and it's kind of cool to see like everybody's thought process and you can kind of do that you know in that game even if you're matched with complete strangers so it's really cool yeah cool well the game that i've been playing most recently is one um, that i actually was able to get hold of a little bit early but should be coming out right around the same time as this episode which is celeste um now this game was shown uh, a little bit on the most recent uh, Nintendo Direct Mini. Have you guys uh, seen it or are oh, you yeah. aware of this game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's in the kind of the style of, you know, um, Slime Son or Super Meat Boy, or even going back, uh, you know, a little bit to the um, Game Boy remake of Donkey Kong in 1994 or the sequel Mario uh, versus Donkey Kong on Game Boy Advance. It's this platforming game, but it has, uh, you know, each screen is, is almost like a puzzle as well. You have to figure out, you know, how you get from the entrance to the exit. Um, and it's super challenging, um, really makes you think a lot. It's also one of these uh, uh, indie games that I love that has the old 16-bit pixel style. Um, and um, the basic uh, commands in this game, just to kind of explain it a little bit here, is you've got you, you know your, your regular jump, your air dash, and then the ability to hold a trigger button and, and grab on and climb any surface. So that's basically it. Um, but there's so many different things they throw at you on each screen that it... it you know, makes you have to be very creative about how you use those uh, those abilities and how you get from one end of the screen to the other. And there's hundreds of screens, um, so there's a lot there to chew on. But one thing that I really like about this game so far, and I'm about four chapters into it, is that um, it adds on this really cool narrative on top of it. So it's not just the pure arcade challenge of getting from screen to screen to screen, but, you know, it breaks up into chapters, so every once in a while you go back to, like, a world map, and you can replay levels to get better um, times. Um, you can even turn on a speedrun timer if you want. Um, so it's really perfect for that kind of crowd. And um, and the the story is almost kind of melancholy. And I'm actually at this point in the game, I'm not. Uh, it's not really spoiling it because I'm not quite sure what's going on. I'm like, is this a dream? Is this more, uh, um, you know, metaphorical that uh, you're, you're controlling this character named Madeline as she ascends this this mountain, Mount Celeste, and you meet a lot of really funny, interesting characters along the way, and they're all basically telling her, you can't do this, go back, and she perseveres. So it it seems like it might be one of those cool indie games that by the time you get to the end of it has a certain uh, cool kind of hidden meaning or, 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 you know, 
I don't know, just something to that story that really makes it resonate. So far, I've been really engaged by that. So um, one thing I was going to say about it, too, is that even though it can be really punishing, you know, you, it's one hit kill, and but you do respawn immediately right on the same screen, it, uh, you can turn on assists if you want. So if you want to ease your way into the game a little bit, you can give yourself more air dashes, you can uh, make yourself invincible, you can even slow down uh, the speed of the game. Boo! Boo, Chris! <laughs> I haven't turned those on. I don't think you would have, actually, because... <laughs> I don't know if people know, but Chris is an amazing platformer. And actually, right. when I saw that game in the Nintendo Direct Mini, I was like, I bet Chris is going to play this. It's going to be good. <laughs> I'm well, so thanks. jealous. So that's my favorite genre. I mean, going, I know. That's what super, the original Super Mario Brothers is on NES is what made me a, a lifelong gamer. So I love platformers. And uh, and if, if for people that really love platformers, this is this is a really good challenge <laughs> with a lot of meat to it. And, and again, for like I said, for those who need to ease into it a little bit, you've got those assists, which uh, my son, who's, uh, who's seven loves games but it's this one would definitely be too tough for him yeah but we turned on a couple of those assists last night and he was able to play and he was really getting into it so do the assists last for like the whole level or is it like does it is there like a time limit on those oh no yeah they just uh, they you turn them on and they're just permanent until you turn them off oh cool yeah i need those don't boo me nate but no, I'm, no. Not, I'm not a strong platformer so i, was, I would need i'm those. totally <laughs> kidding i I'm, I'm a huge platformer freak as well chris i i definitely I I'm going to consume that game in uh, extreme with extreme prejudice. Um, but I really appreciate the way um, sort of the elegant solutions we have toward getting um, younger, less skilled players into platformers. Because I I I don't want to ever see that genre die. I want young kids to get into it, and I don't want them to get frustrated by um, games that are meant to sort of challenge you and I, people who grew up uh, with platformers with with really hard challenges. Um, having some um, some assists in there that are purely optional in order to get uh, get a wider audience. I think it's a it's a great thing. I won't I won't boo. For <laughs> Absolutely, casual. that was a casual boo. Let's move on to Warp Zone. Now we did this last episode. This is going to be a quick quiz where I see if you guys can guess um, certain games for Nintendo systems that came out 10, 20, or thirty years ago. Oh man. And I've warned you. Uh, I've warned you both beforehand. These are a little bit challenging. Uh, looking back on the games that came out in, in past Januarys, I don't think January is generally a very busy month for a lot of new game releases. So some of these may be a little on the advanced side. So. This is literally the the most uh, nerve wracked I've ever been, <laughs> by the way. So, <laughs> okay, Chris. All right, here we go. Ten years ago, in January of two thousand and eight, Grasshopper Manufacturer developed an M-rated action game for Wii in which the hero used a beam katana in a town called Santa Destroy. Any guesses? No More Heroes? That's right. No yeah. More Heroes. Yeah. Good one. I All love right. that game, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's like pretty memorable. My, and that character, Travis, is one of my most memorable characters. I, I just love that character so much. Yeah, and he's coming back on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, yeah so, so, so excited. All right, now 20 years ago, this is January in 1998, Crave Entertainment published a remake of a classic arcade game for Nintendo 64 that was a twin-stick shooting game where you would blast waves of robots. Oh, man. This is a tough one. I have no idea. Chris, you promised good clues. (laughs) (laughs) It has Robo in the title, and it has Tron in the title. <laughs> Robotron, Robotron 64. <laughs> yeah. Great guess, Robotron 64. Remake of Robotron uh, 2084. I never played that. Was that was it good? I never played it. I never played it either. 
I, I didn't either. Oh. <laughs> I played the original Exposed. arcade game. But uh, for people that don't know, you might remember Smash TV. It was kind of a precursor yeah. to that kind yeah. of game. Oh, totally. okay. All right. All right. Another tricky one. 30 years ago. This is January of 1988 now. Data East published a side-scrolling action game for the NES that featured a bare-chested, fire-breathing Russian strongman with a mustache. Oh. Any guesses? Oh, my God. I know this. Does it start with a V? Uh, no, but it has a V in it. It's like Kar- <laughs> Karnov. That's it. Yes. Karnov. Whoa. I knew there was a V in it. Nice. Two out of three. Not bad, you guys. All right. All right. We'll have to make it harder next time. It wasn't that hard. Brutal. All right, so next we're going to move on to Player's Pulse. Now, um, longtime Nintendo Power Magazine readers will remember that this was the letter section uh, in the magazine, and we asked over um, Twitter for you guys to send in any questions that you might have. And thanks so much. Um, we got a lot of great questions. Now, unfortunately, we can't answer ones that are specifically about unannounced prod- uh, products or unannounced game details and things like that. But we'll answer as many as we can here. Uh, to start off with, we have from uh, Brandon Miracle. In what ways does being a part of the Nintendo fan community change when you're inside the company? Nate, do you want to start with that? That's a good question. And it, b- before I answer, I just want to say that this is this was always one of um, my when I wrote for for the magazine um, for several years in the late. That's 90s. right. You worked on Nintendo Power yeah, Magazine. This is always one of my favorite sections. So I just wanted to to, to say that. But um, boy, it changed it changes dramatically. I think for. Um, for me, the the two biggest issues were number one, immediately having to clamp down on my public enthusiasm <laughs> uh, for Nintendo products um, when you you found out about games before they came out. You know, having confidential information during development. Um, you're as a Nintendo fan, you're bursting with excitement. You want to talk to people about it. You want to you know sort of spread the joy. And having to clamp down on that outside of the office, I think, um, was really one of the biggest challenges. But um, sort of a, as a, a side note to that, for me, one of the, the the toughest things to get over was losing the experience that that everybody who doesn't work at Nintendo has, which is hmm. seeing a game in its final polished form for the first time. Um, that experience is so sort of um, magical because you're you're playing this this awesome masterpiece. You know, you, you played Zelda, you know, for the first time and it's a, a finished product, and it's great, and you get the sort of the whole experience. Working in development at Nintendo, you see those games in sort of such like uh, early and broken and sort of unfinished states long before the games actually get finished. And so you you sort of get spoiled to all kinds of stuff that you really, as a fan, you don't want to get spoiled. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't really want to work on this game. I want to play it when it's finally done, and like so I don't see sort of the... I'll have the sausages getting made behind the scenes. Um, for me, that was really, really tough to get over because it's something that's basically gone forever. You know, there's there's very few uh, games now that I get to see sort of a whole cloth that uh, the same way that a, a, a fan out, um, you know, just buying the game when it's when it's on the shelf, the, the way that they get to experience it. That experience is, 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 you know, we just had to let that go once we started um, working in development. So for me, that that's how it changed. I mean, I think, um, you know, working here in it of itself definitely makes you appreciate the amount of passion and sort of um, work that goes into each of the games that we come out with. You know, we're so lucky. I'm certainly very lucky to 
be able to spend time with um, our development team, um, with Nate, with your team, um, and just to see the amount of love that goes into each game just makes you really appreciate it. You know that this is like somebody's true passion. They're putting everything of themselves into this and making this experience into something that the world now gets to enjoy. So kind of, you know, I, I get your point about, you know, seeing it before it's completely finished is really tough sometimes because you don't want to be spoiled. But I think that the flip side of that is that you do get to see this, this joy that they have, that our development team has making these games. So that's, that's yeah. really cool. And then the other cool thing for me is being here um, is like a built-in Nintendo family. So like I love how when a game comes out, we're all playing it all together, you know? Like when uh, Breath of the Wild came out, we all started playing at the same time. We would talk to each other every single day about like, where are you, where are you now? Did you get to this part yet? Did you discover this shrine? Um, it was kind of like back in, in like grade school when you would go to the playground and talk to your friends about that latest secret in Super Mario World or the latest thing you did in a Pokemon game. But I get to do that as like a 30-year-old adult, so that's pretty cool. So I, I mean, I quite like that <laughs> about having sort of like a built-in Nintendo family, um, you know, all the time around me. That was something I was really happy to, to discover when I first started working here is, you know, at most other companies, if you can find one or two other coworkers who are as into Nintendo games as you are, then that's just great. But here, it's, it's almost everyone is, yeah. is not just working at the company, but is really familiar with the games, playing the games, and and there's such great camaraderie here. And you know, uh, for example, when we have um, you know Nintendo Directs, you know, we'll show those here on the the screen in the in the middle of the office, and everyone will gather around and get excited. Yeah, and we'll still cheer for for stuff and get excited about games that are coming out. Or you know, if you ever want to just take a break. Um, to like play Mario Kart for a little bit. There's somebody here that will definitely <laughs> more than more than one person. Definitely, you can get like eight people to stop working and and go play with you for like 20 minutes, and that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, totally. All right, next question comes from uh, Color Geist. Um, <laughs> this is essentially the same question: How fun is, it, fun is it working for Nintendo? I think we probably covered that. Pretty fun. <laughs> really yeah. super fun. Super fun. <laughs> um, this one's from Chump. <laughs> Chump, you should really be nicer to yourself. Got any fun localization <laughs> stories? Nate, this is all you. Oh, man. How long How long do we have? <laughs> um, let me... You know that I... All right, I got one. Um, this is a... Uh, this is back when we were working on... Um, on Win the Legend of Zelda, Zelda Wind Waker, uh, which was, of course, a, a GameCube game. Uh, one of my favorite games um, that I've ever worked on. Um, I, I did the English writing for this game. And back then, um, we've actually, we've really stepped up our game recently. And we have a lot more sort of visibility into um, the different parts of games as we're working on them. But back then, um, you'd be working in the files. And really, the only way that you'd actually see the scenes um, were to literally play through the entire game. Um, and uh, you could, you know, sometimes occasionally you would have debug commands that would let you jump to things. But by and large, um, you'd, you'd want to play through it. And as a writer, I wanted to play through things naturally anyways because that would help me sort of make sure that all the text was appropriate and was flowing correctly and sort of felt right to somebody doing their full playthrough. So, um, of course, the, 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 it's a natural thing in development for you to start working when the ROMs are really broken and are really incomplete, and this was no different. So I played the beginning of that game probably 20 times um, while I was doing my rewrites. But uh, because the ROM was incomplete, 
you'd you know you'd inevitably come into a lockup or you'd come to to some place that you couldn't proceed. So I hadn't really seen the end of that game, um, and I'd written uh, sort of the very end of it uh, based on a very good translation from from our staff without actually seeing the cinematics or seeing how things played out. And so I obviously wanted to see this part of the of the game to make sure that everything was was looking good um especially because ganondorf's monologue at that at the end of that game i thought was really really important i wanted to make sure i i got it and he had this one line at the very end of the monologue that i just didn't understand the translation was fine um and uh but i didn't understand what he was talking about it's a line about the wind blowing and heavy spoilers ahead so anybody who has not actually at this point finished the legend of zelda the wind waker uh, you should turn this off because this is the very end of the game. But I finally got to the end scene, and as we all know, it is sort of the the dramatic moment at the end of this game ends up with Link standing on Ganondorf's face after he stabs him in the forehead. <laughs> and I, I mean, I dropped the controller when I when I saw it, it's just because it was it's an awesome scene. I mean, the first time you see it, you're just like that was not expected, and it's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long, long time. But my immediate reaction was, oh my god, did the SRB see? team see this <laughs> because this is a, you know the, the the art style of this game is was very you know obviously it was very young i mean i think the expectation as we were playing it through the all the content was that it's a firmly an, an e-game um and face stabbing for me all of a sudden i was like this sounds like maybe a t-game all of a sudden and so there was this mad scramble that day because nobody in america had seen that scene up to that point um and and the team in japan wasn't you know, necessarily thinking about what ESRB concerns would be. So I remember this absolute mad scramble that day as I was running around and trying to get people to, to you know, I had to reload the save and try to get it on uh, on video. And there's a huge amount of panic going on. Um, and it ended up being for nothing. We actually ended up getting uh, an E rating. I think this actually predated the E10 rating. I think nowadays probably that would get an, an E10. But um, at the time we, we stayed safely under the T. But it was a... <laughs> it was a, a, a rather dramatic day in the office that day um, for for me, but uh, it, it was I did end up being able to finish the scene, and the line finally made sense to me at the time. So, and it remains actually one of my favorite monologues in any of the games that I worked on. So, uh, it was a uh, it had a happy ending, but that's that's just trust me. I I literally could sit here for eight hours and tell you localization stories, but um, that's that's one that sticks in my mind. We'll have to have an eight hour podcast sometime. That's right. Yeah, you could just you could just read stories all night. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next question comes from Rob Edmiston. Um, He asks, in your opinion, what is it about all the many franchise characters in Nintendo's arsenal, such as Mario, Link, Samus, Donkey Kong, etc., that allows them to be so everlasting? Oh, man. That's a good question. I think um, our characters seem very relatable, and they're all different, differently relatable um, to, you know, different people. So, what I mean by that is, you know, like Mario, for example, one of our, obviously our marquee characters, is someone that you like want to root for. You know, he's a hero that you want to, you want to help and you want to see, you know, win and, and do great things. He's kind of a scrappy underdog. Yeah, exactly. He's very likable. Or like, you know, um, Samus um, has great characteristic traits where, you know, if you kind of admire that that element of, of a person, it, you can kind of relate to that as well. So I think that that's, for me, that's what makes our characters kind of memorable is that there's a piece of each of them that I kind of either want to help or want to see in myself. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think that makes it um, kind of a unique um, catalog of characters that we we have at Nintendo. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I I think on top of that, they they've each earned their way towards immortality by great gameplay. You know, I think every mm-hmm. every single one of our our stable of characters um, has great games under their wing, and that's that's what won people over. You know, I think without great gameplay, they're they're sort of just images, um, and every single one of those for for various reasons. Have, have earned their, their place in the Pantheon. And I think also a difference between franchises uh, that have stuck around for a long time and, and those that, that haven't is I think the ones that have that have stuck around managed to not only have like a great um, you know base to build on, like a, a great original game, but also they continually introduce fresh new ideas so that um, it doesn't start to feel too stale or, or you know it can also kind of evolve with changing tastes. And it's also, I think, generational. I think, you know, um, you know, as a father now, you know, I think about these are the games and these are the characters that I really responded to when I was a kid. And now I want to share that with my kids as well. Yeah, it's cool to see the characters like almost like grow, you know, yeah, as totally. if they're, they're real. You know, you look at Link, you know, from the original Legend of Zelda game and you look at Link in Breath of the Wild and you're like, wow, this character is really evolved along with the the franchise itself so it's like it's almost like they have like this life to them which is really really cool to see mm-hmm. except kirby he still looks like kirby yeah it's okay <laughs> though we still love him yeah he's we still do e- he's still eating it's fine <laughs> <laughs> next we have um from zachary steer asks what games are each of you most looking forward to playing in the first half of 2018 and similarly gator ex just asks what are you most uh, anticipating or sorry, what are your most anticipated upcoming games? So either first half of this year or 2018 in general, what's been announced so far? What are you, what are you guys looking forward to? Um, so I am actually looking forward to replaying Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I was, I was really excited to see um, that game coming to Switch. Um, and, of course, the addition of Funk- Funky Kong is really awesome. But that was a game that being a not-so-great platformer um, that I really challenged myself to to play and um, to really, like, try to master a little bit, you know? So I'm just really excited to, to see it coming to Nintendo Switch, and I'm, I can't wait to give that game a go again. I think I still need to beat that last boss, too, so maybe this is, like, when mm. I finally do it. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I'm psyched to... I mean, I 100%ed that game, but I will do it in a heartbeat again. It's one of the best, <laughs> best platformers ever made. I personally am, uh, beyond that, also really looking forward to um, Mario Tennis Aces. I uh, I, mm-hmm. I have always loved the Mario Tennis series and uh, the um, reintroduction of a, a a story mode is is just got me got me drooling. Everything I've seen about that game so far has really really piqued my interest. So I'm psyched to get um, get back into that. Yeah, I actually was really excited to hear that that game had a story mode. I, I love the Mario sports games that have like that story mode. So I'm really curious. I don't. I'm, I'm sure you know a lot more than I do, Nate. <laughs> Secrets. <laughs> Secrets about the story mode. But I'm I'm really looking forward to what that what that actually entails. Yeah, it should be interesting. Same here. I love the tennis game for Game Boy Advance. No, yeah. Game Boy Color. Yeah, Color. Yeah, that had story mode. Color. And uh, I've been, that's my thing ever since. Every golf game or tennis game, I'm like, please have a story mode. It's so good. (laughs) And I would also add, um, first of all, both of those games are on my list, but, uh, and several others, but but maybe the one that I'm looking forward to more than anything else is um, Shovel Knight King of Cards. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Here we go again with the Shovel Knight. I love Shovel Knight. I know. You are like diehard Shovel Knight. (laughs) And I cannot wait for King of Cards. I'm curious about that because it's so different than you know, the normal Shovel Knight gameplay, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the Spectre Knight campaign and also the Plague Knight campaign 
both of those, the control styles are so different yeah. from standard Shovel Knight that you really have to relearn the game and the game just starts to feel totally new again. Yeah, I think that's really clever how they're able to kind of reintroduce the, these really different types of gameplay to, to get you back into the the game itself mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's really interesting yeah when it's all said and done the whole shovel knight package is just going to be ridiculous with how much stuff is in there i know you have bought it for like every platform at this point yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah. have like quattro dipped at this point yeah i think too i, I really do it's, it's it's totally worth it so it's fine all right uh jd harrison uh asks a very poignant question what life lessons have you learned from video games oh oh man hmm. <laughs> i would say that uh and i don't know if this is um this is strictly, uh, it strictly answers the question, but I would say find a way to do what you love because as a kid, that's what I love more than anything was playing games. And I ended up getting into video game magazines and now working at Nintendo. So mm-hmm. for me, video games have really been both my my hobby and also my career. So I think if you can find a way to merge those two, then that's that's the ideal. Yeah. That's great, yeah. Um, I think we all share that sentiment for sure. I think maybe, I, I love um, puzzle games. So I'll say like, Find a way to see creative solutions to problems. I think, um, you know, video games has always taught me that there's always there's always a solution out there, but it might be not what you expect it to be. So don't be afraid to like try crazy ways to get to your end end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes it might be not the right way, but just keep trying, and you'll eventually find it. Well, yeah, I'd say. Um... <laughs> This isn't a great life lesson, but I'd say what you what you can't achieve with skill, maybe you can achieve with persistence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great lesson. That's good. Yeah. yeah, that's I think what games have taught me. <laughs> I'm a stubborn gamer. All right, next we have um, <clears throat> JCRV asks, can you please add a new Funky Kong mode to every single game you make from now on? Done. <laughs> I have no control over this, yeah. but yes. Yeah. There's a Funky we'll Kong that, mode button we'll in the happen. office, and we just hit it whenever yeah. we want. That's exactly. Happen. I'd like Nate, to see that's, that's a Nate. That's a Nate job. We'll, we'll give that task to Nate. Yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> my my next trip to NCL, I'll, I'll yeah. bring that to. So that's a fun conversation to have. <laughs> I would I, I would appreciate a Funky Kong mode in uh, Dark Souls Remastered, just yes, to make please. that game a little easier for me. <laughs> You can just see him like surfboarding on top yeah. of Surfboard their heads, <laughs> you know, hanging loose while they're all trying to be all gory like and serious. serious. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, and uh, Jonders FPT asks, "What does Kirby feel like? I Is he cold question. and slimy, sticky or furry?" Okay, I, I formulated the perfect answer to this question. He feels like a warm stress ball. Like think about a stress ball, and when yeah. you squeeze it, it's that it has that like, a little give, but. You could squeeze it, but it's like body temperature. So like 98 degrees stress ball. Yeah, I like yes? that. I always like feel, that. I always wanted to believe that he sort of felt like velour too. Just cause oh, he's, yeah. you know, he's very soft looking and there's not necessarily any like visual indicator that he's velour. I've never actually seen that, but <laughs> I want to believe it. <laughs> 70s tracksuit yeah. velour Kirby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I once ate a uh, Kirby cake pop. So that's my impression is that he both feels and tastes like a cake pop. Oh, <laughs> so slightly like like fondant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, now we're going to get to um, kind of a lightning round here. We got a lot of questions just asking what our um, you know certain favorite things are. Mm-hmm. So let's just um, rattle off some quick answers here. Uh, All right, Nico asks, "What is your favorite Animal Crossing villager and why?" Is Isabel a villager? Kind of. Presumably, she lives in the town. She does. She's my favorite because I am her. 
<laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, identify, I identify with her a lot. I don't know why. Huh. I like, uh, randomly, I like this duck named Mael, and I can't explain <laughs> why, but I like this duck named Mael. That's, that's it. He's just a solid guy. No, it's a I girl. Li- oh, solid girl. <laughs> I like... Um, I don't, this is cheating a little, maybe. I like K.K. Slider. He just kind of shows up. I don't know oh. if he's really an inhabitant. Uh, I also like Cap'n when he's just singing. Oh, oh yeah. Songs That's a good pick. So sweet. Uh, the more musically inclined uh, yeah. villagers. Max Robinson asks, who is your favorite Super Smash Brothers character? Nate. Oh. He didn't specifically ask who, who if this is your main so i guess it could be like who you like to play as or just who you like in, in general in the yeah game. that's tough i think i would have to pick general generationally i think for for individual games um but i'd say overall i think nessus i just mm. i sort of connected really hard with ness in the very in the 64 game um and then just sort of stuck with him ever since i mean i play a, a lot of different characters but i think ness has just always been my favorite <laughs> You kind of have a Ness look to you. Uh, what? That's a comp- that's a compliment. It's the it's the big head. I like it. I think it's cute. Um, I <laughs> I like Zero Suit Samus because that's literally the only character that I'm I'm not going to say good or even decent that I can maybe <laughs> play as maybe I'm not a very good Smash player, but there you go. I'm going to say uh, Little Mac just because. I was so happy to see that character come back and be included in in the last Smash Brothers, and um, and also he's just so satisfying. All of his punches just land so so hard, yeah. and and uh, and he's he's a lot of fun to play, even though he can't really jump. Yes. <laughs> uh, v James asks, "What is your favorite Kong?" I like Diddy Kong. Diddy Kong. I like all the things about Diddy Kong: the hat, the shirt, the peanut gun, the hovering, all the things. It's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm old school. I like Donkey Kong. I just one of the re- and one of the reasons why I like the Donkey Kong platformers is just because he feels heavy. He just mm-hmm. he just feels mm-hmm. heavy, you know. And you don't and that sort of seems antithetical to a, a platformer where you sort of expect to be light and bouncy. Um, you can really feel the weight of that Kong. He feels powerful. Um, I just I I love Donkey Kong. I would pick Donkey Kong too, but I'll also say as a, as a runner up, Funky Kong. Okay. <laughs> because I started out hating Funky Kong. And then when he appeared in uh, Mario Kart Wii, he was just so over the top, you know, <laughs> funky that, uh, that he came back around to being entertaining for me. And now I look forward His to Funky funk Kong and everything. Funk won you over, would yeah. you say? Okay. You can't slow him down. Haters don't slow down Funky Kong. <laughs> he's just hanging loose in every game he appears in. He's, he's who he is. He's, yeah. He is himself all the way. All right. Super Mr. Cool Boy. It's very... Uh, not shy, that super Mr. Cool Boy. <laughs> Who is your favorite partner from Paper Mario, the Thousand-Year Door for the Nintendo GameCube? Oh, Nate, your, your history with Paper Mario. That's right. Thousand-Year Door. Was this the first game that you worked on? No, no, that was the original Paper Mario was the first game that I worked on. Oh, okay. But um, Thousand-Year Door is probably my favorite game that I worked on. Um, and as such, I I probably have two favorites. My my favorite as a writer is Goombella, um, just because oh, gosh, yeah. her and Goombario from the original one that is by far the most text that you have to write for anyone because they literally have something to say about every everybody in the game, you know, mm-hmm. whether they're an NPC, an enemy, or an area. Um, there's so much text in there that unless you're really diligent, you're not going to read. And so as a writer, 
I'm, it's sort of my favorite because I just wish everybody would read all that text. It's good text. I read all the text <laughs> names. <laughs> but otherwise, just pure um, on pure gameplay and story, I think it would be Admiral Bobbery. I just he's like his story is really sad, which seemed sort of it's sort of sad and happy at the end. But um, you know, it it seemed a little deeper than most uh, when we were when we were working on the game. Uh, I thought his, his story arc was really satisfying, and I just like him as a battle partner. He's got... Uh, I like Bombette in the original one, too. I just... I, I like his attacks, so... I, I'll, it's sort of cheating, picking two, but those are my two. I'm going to say uh, Goombella. I like the title yeah. ability. And also, my one of my uh, best favorite memories from that game is... And it's been so long since I played it, I'm probably going to get some of these these terms wrong, but... There's a part in the game where you you go into like a optional challenge area. It's like multi-level dungeon, um, and the final boss of it is uh, is like a big um, skeletal dragon. Mm-hmm. Or no, I think so. If I remember there, maybe you can correct me there, Nate, if I get something wrong. But um, and I remember when uh, you use the title ability, Goombella tells you um, he basically warns you, "Look, this is harder than the actual last boss to the yeah, game." Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, and I. By the skin of my teeth and a lot of lucky kind of rolls of the dice at the mm-hmm. end, I managed to beat that. And I remember feeling like triumphant. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's an achievement, you, man. That's not easy. That's to get, pretty even crazy. Just to get yeah. down there is really tough. You know what's very sad is that I was determined to do all the side quests before I finished the game. So I got to the point where I'd finally unlocked the thousand-year door, but then I went and did the side quests and then stopped playing, and I never went through through the door to the end of the oh. game. Oh man, you should be, do it now. Go back to it. Yeah, I you will. should. It's it's the oldest game on my uh, you know, on my pile of games to on still get to. Oh man! Yeah. All right. Let's see. Next question here is, Geo asks, "What is your favorite amiibo?" Squishy Metroid will remain my favorite amiibo until we make another Squishy oh, amiibo. That's one of my favorites man. too. It's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't beat it really. I was gonna say either that or. Mega Yarn Yoshi, but I think if I had to pick one, it's the Duck Hunt Amiibo, just because oh, okay. Amiibo, to me, the, the coolest thing about it is so many of those characters, you can't believe that a, a toy or a figure exists for that character. Mm. And and I think Duck Hunt exemplifies that the best. That <laughs> Duck Hunt came back in any way, shape, or form is or amazing like to me. like the Mr. Game & Watch yeah. one. It's like, that's yeah. and a, a figure now, too. It's like kind of along the same lines as the Duck Hunt one. Mm-hmm. I like my, uh, I have the Guardian Amiibo. With the posable, oh. the posable legs, oh, I, yeah. I wrap that thing around like you know my coffee cup, and depending on my mood, I don't know. I just I dig it. <laughs> that thing is massive. I did see that someone had made that into a stand for their Nintendo Switch, and I was like, genius. Oh wow, yeah, that's cool. yeah, it's really cool. All right, final uh, question here from Ninwed: Waluigi or Wario? Wario. Yeah, I got it. This is like go. word association game. Yep, I gotta go <laughs> Wario too. Yeah, I gotta go. Worry. It's kind of unfortunate because Waluigi usually just you know gets to hang out when they're all gonna when they need an extra guy to fill out the baseball team. I or know, something. seriously. But uh, but he's kind of a creep, and uh, <laughs> and I do love uh, I do love me some Wario Land games and yes. WarioWare games. So it's got to be Wario. Let's talk a bit about Nintendo Labo, which was recently announced. It was actually announced on January seventeenth. A uh, huge surprise. Uh, and um, just to, to go over some of the basics for people who may not be caught up on this, it's um, it's kind of a kit. It includes, there's a software component. There's also a building component with um, these cardboard kits. So the theme here or the, the tagline is make, play, and discover. You create these Toy-Con using, uh, that interact in various ways with the Joy-Con controllers and the Nintendo Switch console. And then it all comes together with the software. 
to um, just create these these really um, interesting interactive experiences. So you know the making part, the um, kind of discovering how it all works. There's also customization you can do, and then using the software. It's all kind of equally important. Um, two kits come out on April 20th: the uh, variety kit. Um, which includes you can make a piano, a motorbike uh, handlebars, fishing rod, a little house, two RC cars. And then there's a robot kit where you, you kind of build this full-on robot suit that interacts with a robot uh, on the screen in the software where you can even like kneel down and then, uh, you know, the, the robot will transform and flatten down into a vehicle mode. So, um, so those are, like I said, those are both coming out April 20th along with a customization kit. Uh, which includes some stencil sheets and sticker sheets and some tape. So first reaction when you guys first saw or heard about Nintendo Labo, what was, how did it immediately impact you? I just love it because it was so true to the, what I expect from Nintendo, which is to go completely against the grain of what everybody else is doing and just be really creative and make you you know, love something as plain as cardboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has like Nintendo magic dust on it. So of course it's awesome. So yeah. that was my initial reaction. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I, the, the first time I saw it, it was a while ago now. Um, I, I just, I felt like a kid, you know, it made me, it made me feel like a kid um, uh, instantly just seeing uh, the potential there for, um, not only just for for pure fun, but for stimulating creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just see the the first time you saw it. Um, the and maybe that's just the nature of sort of the do-it-yourself uh, cardboard nature. But um, it really just instantly set my mind afire with like, how could I? What what could I do with this? What there's the there's mm-hmm. the software, and here's what it can do now. But what more can I do with it? What's my own experience with it going to be? Um, you know, it, it just uh, it instantly transported me back to being. Um, a, a a kid looking at games for the first time so it's really exciting moment same for me and it's you know when i see things like this now you know um like i said having a seven-year-old son uh the first thing that that pops into my head a lot of times is how are we going to play these games together and for example we played hundreds of hours of super mario maker together and and my son specifically there's just always cardboard all over the house he's always cutting and making his own creations he even subscribes to this monthly kit that comes that helps him build those types of things so immediately i knew and you know i had to sit on it for a while i couldn't tell him about it oh, until man. it was i could show him the video uh at the announcement and um he was as i expected he was he was really excited and and so i'm really looking forward to to doing these with him the i think one of the it's it's really important um to to see i mean you can see it in the rollout that there's equal weight being placed on sort of the the different acts that that um, that this stuff brings to the table, you know, there's it's not just play. Um, you know, making it is is a, a part of the experience, and then discovering what what makes the way it works and why it works um, is part of the experience. That aggregate sort of I don't know uh, it, it it it's something that I feel like only Nintendo could do because it's so weird on the surface. You know, you, you if you if you think about that as an elevator pitch at NCL. You know where they're just like, here's what, here's my idea for what we're gonna do next. You just <laughs> picture somebody's eyes falling out of their head as they're sort of considering it. Um, but you know, now seeing it in in the state it's in now, you can see you can see the genius of that. It's not. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it makes you think not only about uh, why why you're having fun with games, but um, uh, what's beyond that. What's what are the the meta games I can create on top of this game? 
um, which is, I think, familiar to anybody who's, who's been a longtime gamer. Um, and yeah, I, I think... Yeah, go for it. Oh, I was going to say, I think that, you know, kids and um, Nintendo fans, everyone, people are so creative. I, I just, I can't wait to see what creative things people come up with um, that go beyond just the, the, the sort of the basics of, of these, um, these two mm-hmm. kids. And now we all get to actually um, go hands-on with this and assemble, um, you know, some of these kits. And one of the things that really jumped out at me um, that I don't know you necessarily get just from watching the video is just how fun the instructions are mm-hmm. because it is literally a, a 3D model of uh, on, on the Nintendo Switch screen of the project that you're assembling. And then you can use um, uh, the touch screen to kind of rotate it and look at it from any angle. You can kind of slowly kind of go back or for, backwards or forwards. And it shows you how it's folding and, yeah. and things like that. And I love how you can like kind of zoom in on different sections of it to see in detail how pieces are, are kind of coming together as well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it has spoiled me. Like I, the idea of going back to you know traditional paper instructions to assemble my desk is like horrifying. <laughs> I was now. gonna I mean, say, yeah. it literally is. It's <laughs> like the future of 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 construction. Instruction manuals. It's so clear. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it makes the process fun. Like if you if you're a little stumped on something, you can kind of work with the with the on-screen instructions and almost kind of discover that little missing thing you mm-hmm. hadn't caught before. And even just that in of itself, I thought was fun and. Also, you know, I did it. Uh, we put these together with uh, with small with small groups of people, and yeah. and I really like the the teamwork. You know how people would assemble different parts and mm-hmm. then um, you know help each other if we if we were getting a little stuck. And um, you know we didn't have any kids there that day. It was just all of us adults, adults, but we all felt like kids. Kids at heart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, totally. I think um, we yeah it was really fun to do it in groups, and we kind of you know in, in my group we kind of gave like everybody a different little role like okay your job is to like kind of punch out all the cardboard and like lay and organize it and then um, the two of us will look at the instructions and kind of read it out to the group and so we kind of like divvied up the tasks and then it's extremely satisfying when you can start to see it come together and everybody was just getting like so excited as we started to build our you know, our little, we were building like a little house and it was mm-hmm. like, as it start, started to take shape, we were like, and had these aha moments. We were all, we all just got like so giddy, like, like, like kids. And it was, it was a ton of fun. You know, another thing that, you know, we working in the house too, and, and we, we almost finished it, but we ran out of time, but then we were able to try out a lot of the other finished mm-hmm. um, kits. And one of the things that's really neat um, at that stage is just seeing all the little details they packed into the software. You know, the house was a good example where yeah. you can see some of that in, in the video, but the you know all the little cranks and knobs and buttons all do different things and also kind of do different things depending on the combination. So you kind of spend a lot of time, you know, even though you, you made this, you spend a lot of time just discovering what you really made and how all the little ways that it works. And um, there was a lot of surprises, you know, as, as you kind of mess with the software like that. I had a huge grin on my face the whole time I was tinkering around with this um, over the over the development period, and um, and one of the reasons I had that is I was just picturing constantly ten years from now, some you know a, a eighteen year old or a nineteen year old applying for a job in engineering or in in something mm-hmm. uh, you know in in some sort of digital work, and this was their introduction to it. You know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is going to be I can see it as being a, a just a catalyst for. Um, you know, young creative minds to just start interacting with the world around them. And the oh, yeah. the idea that we can help sort of spur that along is just great, you know. I mean, it's, it's great the games are fun. You know, we obviously like um, enjoying them, but it's 
uh, it's doubly great when you can see it having a, a, a positive a positive effect, I think, on, um, on the younger generation or the older generation, on anybody. Um, and I did want to say uh, that uh, I wanted to put a plug in for Rich Amtower's term, which he coined um, during development, which is cardware. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if the internet has somehow coined this phrase as well. Rich definitely did it first because he saw it before you, internet. <laughs> Cardware, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's very appropriate. Well, we put the world on notice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we're just about out of time, so I'm just gonna say thanks again for appearing on the show, Krista and Nate. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests, Krista Yang and Nate Bildorf, and also ask again that you help shape the show by letting us know what you thought, what you'd like to see, or just send us any questions you might have. Now, I can't promise that we'll respond to everything, but we'll, we'll definitely read all of your comments and take them into consideration. Uh, you can reach us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, if you could take a second to leave a review, that really helps the podcast get discovered by more people. And be sure to subscribe so you'll always get the next episode as soon as it's ready. Um, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for listening, and keep playing with power.